You're listening to the Live Well Radio Podcast Show. A wealth of information for a life of inspiration. And here's your host, Brett Coleman. Hey guys, today is Wellness Wednesday. My guest today is Knox Van Dyke, who is a professor of biochemistry and molecular pharmacology at West Virginia University Medical School with 50 years of research experience. Knox has over 300 publications and 150 patents. He completed his PhD in biochemistry in the Edward A. Doisy Nobel Prize Department at St. Louis University in 1966. He did his postdoctoral studies in the Department of Pharmacology at West Virginia University Medical School. The guy is a genius, and I'm so glad to have him on the show today, sharing his experience, knowledge, and insight. Hey, Knox, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> Fant- I'm, do- I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm going to get right into this because it's, you gotta, we have a lot to cover. You have a lot of great information that our listeners want to know and hear about, and I'm sure some of this stuff is going to be new to them. According to your research... Our U.S. government spends $3 trillion, with a T, $3 trillion every year on disease treatment. And you've been quoted as saying 85% of those total dollars are spent on poorly treated chronic diseases like cancer, arthritis, diabetes, and heart disease. Is that what you're saying to us? That's exactly what I'm saying. Talk about it, brother. And that's, and, and that's the government's own figures, the 85 or 86%. <laughs> So what have you found? What's, what's going on with this? Well, well, there's a fundamental reason why we haven't been able to solve these problems. And what happens is the body only has certain biochemistry that it can fight disease with. And it, and it mostly when it's attacked by viruses, bacteria, fungus, whatever, parasites, it uses the same chemistry to kill those kill those. Uh, uh, organisms. If you get silica, which is sand in your lungs, and it creates inflammation, it uses exactly that same chemistry that it that it does of, of, in the other diseases. So, so basically, what happened to me was I started doing studies on human white cells, and. Uh, I was we, our group at West Virginia was one of the first groups in the world that generated light from white cells. Now there are two major types of white cells we were dealing with. One called the neutrophil, which is a cell that comes in very early in inflammation and starts the starts the thing going. And and then the secondary cells called macrophages come in, and they really are the things that create our protection against all these diseases. The problem is if they get diseases that generate a large amount of this stuff of the prox, this is called peroxynitrite, it's a kind of peroxide. When, it, when you get too much of this stuff, it causes the disease. It's hard to understand why something that you have to have in your body and, and be very protective could turn against you and create all these other diseases. How could that be? Well, 
well, I don't know how why it why it is, but it is. And and this compound is incredibly um, damaging to 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 organisms. Well, it, it shouldn't be surprising that if you start making a lot of this stuff, this peroxynitrite, then it's going to damage your cells too, which it does. And it's the thing that creates heart disease. It's the thing that creates diabetes. It's it's a, and, and you might might be shocked by that because a lot of people think, oh, diabetes is caused by having too much sugar. Sugar, yeah. No, it's not. It's not caused by having too much sugar. What sugar does is it makes more more of that peroxide. It's not the actual cause of the disease in the first place. Can you believe that? No, I can't. I'm <laughs> sitting here, my jaw is about to hit the floor because you know, this is all new information, and people driving the car should probably you know pull over so they can get a grip of what you're really saying here to pay full attention because this is something that we need to know. The bizarre part of the thing is that the chemical compound is called peroxynitrite. It's formed of two oxygens, a nitrogen and another oxygen. So if you look at it, it looks like, oh, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you so, know, you have a lot of research in this. What's, have you found uh, why somebody would have more of this in their system than somebody else? Well, sure. Uh, it, depends on, it depends on what else, what, what other problems you have. Almost all diseases are caused by the same basic system, and that's inflammation. Inflammation drives the vast majority of diseases. Now, some diseases are caused because you have a genetic mutation, and then that's a different story. But for the most part, almost all of the major diseases have an inflammatory component, even cancer. And uh, it turns out, well, let's talk about cancer for a second. So if you get a tumor in your body, what, is the, what does the body do to fight that? Well, what it does is it invades the tumor. It actually goes in between the cells and gets inside the tumor with these macrophages. And they generate that peroxynitrite trying to kill the tumor. Well, so why, does, why isn't it effective? Well, there's a certain point in there where, where, that, where that chemistry where the cell, a macrophage, actually changes to something else. There are two types of macrophages. One's called M1 and the other one's called M2. Well, the M1 is the one that's involved with inflammation and producing this, oh, no, peroxynitrite. So during that time, it's fighting the disease. And then something strange happens in that, in that, uh, that, that cell that's fighting the disease switches to a different kind of disease, called, uh, a different kind of cell called M2. When it, when it becomes M2, it causes the cancer to metastasize and go all different places, and it causes drug resistance. So instead of helping you, these cells are making the disease worse. It sounds like it. Yeah, I'm getting the picture. Would, the you, be, would you believe that? So, okay, now, now we got that down. What's chemo doing in the body? Killing good oh, and bad? Yeah, that's a fundamental question. Well, it just happens relatively recently that they found out that a drug that's used for malaria called chloroquine can change that macrophage that's M2 type that causes trouble back to M1. So, so if you would take chemotherapy and or radiation to kill the tumor and you took chloroquine, you could fight the disease better. 
this is a fundamental observation. And, and uh, you know, people, people could see that, and now they're using chloroquine on every type of cancer. What is that? I mean, why would an anti-malarial drug affect cancer? Well, what it does is it makes the M2 macrophage change into the M1 type that produces the peroxynitrite and kills the cancer cell. So, so once it starts doing that, if you add chemotherapy and you add radiation, it'll kill it even better. And so, and so cancer becomes more treatable. Is this fundamental or what? So the Chinese in Beijing, that you know, they have some superb places where they have huge number of really good scientists there, and they got after this problem, and they're the ones. And this this was just published in Nature, 2018, and they showed that chloroquine causes this M1 M2 macrophage to go back to M1, and that's why it treats all these cancers. Well, let me give you an example of, of how this stuff is used. So one of the really nasty cancers you can get is this skin cancer called melanoma, where you get these, these dark spots on your, on your skin due to the sun. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they start spreading and, and getting into your body and causing all kinds of problems because it metastasized so readily. I mean, this is a death sentence when you got this stuff. Well, now they've developed drugs called checkpoint inhibitors and uh if they these drugs are given to people with melanoma they cure the disease in 50 percent of the people well what happened to the other 50 percent let's talk about that well they found out that i mean basic idea is these are people that have too many m2 m2 macrophages so the idea is if you give them chloroquine Plus the regular stuff, the regular radiation things, or, or in this case chemotherapy, that you can actually knock the out out the uh, the disease in the other fifty percent. Interesting. That's stunning, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it doesn't and it doesn't happen just in one kind of cancer. There's a cancer that's in the brain. In fact, one of my friends has this stuff, and and you get this really aggressive tumor in the front part of your brain and, and you get, it's like, you get like a golf ball growing inside your, inside your brain. Well, these, this cancer is so aggressive that they could take the cancer out, but it's really tough to get it all. And, and then, and then after they close you up, you get 11 months to live. Oh my gosh. But the data shows that if you give, if you put chloroquine, you know, with the other things that you're doing, radiation, chemotherapy, you can live for three years. That that doesn't seem like a huge thing, just getting extra two years. But but in the cancer business, it's a huge thing. Sure. And the thing is, there are probably other things that are like that. If we knew all the all the angles of things, we could probably control cancer completely. That's not crazy. And and there's a there's a paper that's just been written. Should we give chloroquine to all cancer patients? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, why not, right? Okay, so that's so that's a, a incredible thing. I didn't discover any of that stuff, but you know, I was working on macrophages, and I know how they work. <laughs> so, so we were studying we were studying something called silicosis which actually is related to a disease that occurs in West Virginia and Kentucky and 
Indiana, a few other places where they do coal mining. And people breathe in the coal dust, and they and they after after a period of years, they can't breathe anymore because their lungs are so damaged. And you know, people thought, oh, it's the coal dust that does that. So you know me, I I said, well, let's let's actually measure and find out what what's actually causing the death of these cells and things. And uh, so I I started doing those measurements. And I found out the coal dust wasn't particularly toxic. <laughs> but the calcium was. And, well, it turns out that it's the silica. They're, you know, when they, when they grab coal from their coal seams, they, they hit rocks mm-hmm. that's made out of sand. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and the particles go up in the air with the coal. When they breathe the coal dust in, they get the silica. And it's the silica that causes all the damage. And the reason silica causes that damage is because it gets eaten by these macrophages, and it and, it's, and it causes release of calcium inside the cell, and that calcium kills the, the the energy mechanism called mitochondria, and then the cell dies. But anyway, in in the lung, if you start killing a whole bunch of cells like that, the body tries to cover it up, and that's called fibrosis. So so. It does that to protect you so, so you can use the rest of your system to breathe. But if you get too much fibrosis, you can't breathe anyway. So it's, you know, after 40, 50 years, a lot of these people are dying from the silica toxicity. Anything to do well, with cystic fibrosis? Any, any relation? Uh, cystic fibrosis is caused by, by a genetic problem I of see. some sort. But anyway, so it turns out that... Uh, Probably asbestos works the same way as silica, because it turns out that asbestos is a silicate. It has silica-like properties. Anyway, uh, so so about a couple years ago, I got interested in Parkinson's disease because my father got it in the, around 1960 or so, and he lived till until he was in his 80s, but this Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative disease. It's really bad news. But you think that you can prevent that somehow or properly treat it, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> so so the question is, what's contr- the, the defect in that disease is that you start losing the transmitter called dopamine that's in your brain. Mm-hmm. It's in a place called the substantia nigra. And something is happening to the cells, to the nerves that contain this this transmitter. And the nerves start dying, and you don't have enough dopamine. So dopamine controls movement. So these people all of a sudden their hands shake, and and they can't walk right. Shuffle, they shuffle gait, and uh, they can't. You know, it's hard for them to stand up straight. Michael J. Fox has this problem. Muhammad Ali had it. And you can see. Muhammad Ali had it, and, and and it turns out Bill Gates has it, and uh, I mean it, it, it's it's a lot of people who have this problem. Okay, so so years ago I found that I was pretty sure peroxynitrite was causing all these uh, neurodegenerative diseases. So I found a compound that I could that you could take into your body, just eat it, and it would generate. A, a compound that we used to call uric acid. It's not actually uric acid. It's actually urate, which is the salt of uric acid. Anyway, this stuff 
is the antithesis of oh no of the of the peroxynitrite. The two get together and they they and they disintegrate. But each, each, you know they just they're gone. So if you have high levels of this compound, you can fight the disease. And so I patented the idea that you could tr- use this compound, and the compound that is usually used is called inosine. There are other things that are similar to that you could use as well, but inosine is the most readily available. How do you spell it? So anyway, How do you spell that, Knox? It's, it's I-N-O-S-I-N-E. Inosine. And it's over-the-counter? So, so, it's a supplement, natural supplement? It is. It is over-the-counter. But that's not the best kind to use. I'll talk about that later. Okay. So, so it turns out that I never had any data that this would actually work, except for the fact that I could actually put peroxynitrite in a test tube, put a compound that it would react with, give, which would give generate light, and then I put the urate in there, and it would shut the light down. And what that means is it's shutting off the mechanism of the peroxynitrite. So when, that, when you see that, you go, whoa, if I could shut that off, it's going to affect the disease. But I never had any money. I couldn't do a clinical trial, so you know I just left it in the patent literature. So there's a guy in uh, in Harvard. His name is Schwarzschild, and he's a, probably a top neurologist, uh, experimental neurologist in the world. And I don't know whether he got my he read my stuff or he got it from someplace else. But he started testing inosine in a whole large number of patients, and what he found was it actually slowed Parkinson's disease down. It, you know, as the, as the disease would, would be generated, it would slow them, it would slow them down. The, the weird part, part was it only worked in men. Interesting. And, 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 and so I looked at that and I said, hmm, he made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what it is is that men have high concentrations of urate in their blood normally. Okay, so if you if you got this disease and the peroxynitrite was beaten up on your uric acid, mm-hmm. it, it 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 would lower the amount of urate and and you couldn't fight the disease well. But men could fight it better than women because they don't have as much urate. The the levels of urate in women are 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 a couple of units lower than in men. So so, the, I guess theoretically they'd be more affected by by the peroxynitrite, and they would get Parkinson's more, more easily. You now, think. I don't know if that's really true. Yeah. But, but anyway, he showed that by giving inosine and increasing the urate level in the blood, that it slowed the disease down in men. Well, the problem was he only gave three grams uh, to each person a day. And three grams was enough to make the men go into a therapeutic range Whereas if you give three grams to women, they're already too low. Mm-hmm. And if you raise their level, it doesn't get into the therapeutic range. So you didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How could he miss that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to know. You have to know that women are naturally lower. Mm. But anyway, he did thousands of patients. So, so then he published that stuff. And, and, and they, actually used, they actually used the urate level. To to uh, to st- sort of um, study the progression of the disease. It's that good. So anyway, that was so. That's the first part. That means that if there's if that substance exists 
and you could control the peroxynitrite with, with raising your, the blood urate in your body, that that's the first step. That's, that's like getting your foot in the door. So the next part was, in 1960, there was a guy named Arvid Carlson who got the Nobel Prize for the idea that if you give a precursor something that would turn into dopamine, it's called L-dopa. And you give this stuff, it goes into the blood-brain barrier and gets turned into dopamine. So if you give this, it could help the patients. So people took this from 1960 to 1975. And... And what actually happened was the disease rate from Parkinson's disease dropped. So it went down. Then Merck, Sharp, and Dome came up with a new compound. But the problem with L-DOPA is it causes like nausea and low blood pressure. It causes some side effects you, you don't like. So they took this compound called Carbidopa and added, added it to L-DOPA. And they thought, oh, this stuff's going to be better because now you don't have this, so many side effects. They put the carbidopa in in 1975. But from 1975 to today, you can't buy L-dopa alone. You have to buy it with carbidopa. Well, when this guy from Florida started doing the death rates, and he found out, when he wrote his paper, he found out that if you put carbidopa, it increases the death rate threefold. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then I looked up the governmental numbers, and it's actually now, today, it's actually fourfold. So this is actually killing these people, and nobody knows it. So they're trying to think, my God, how did this happen? Well, the guy from Florida, he showed that if you, I don't, do you have my paper where all that stuff is in? Yeah, I have it in an email. Yeah, well, you print it out, and, and you'll see that guy's name. So, so the guy from Florida did some really nice work. And he showed that carbidopa bound to vitamin B6. Now, to most people, that doesn't mean anything. But vitamin B6 is involved with amino acids, switching from one to the other. So we have uh, nine essential amino acids. If you don't take that, you're going to be undernourished because you need those to make protein. But we have a total of 12 or 20 amino acids. So the nine amino acids have to turn into a total of 20 in order, in order to give you all the amino acids that you need. Well, that's what vitamin B6 does. If, you, if the carbidopa sticks to the vitamin B6 and prevents it from working, you, you're, you're undernourished. So he said, well, the, the reason that people are dying is because they're undernourished. Okay, so I'm reading this stuff and I'm thinking, something doesn't fit here. <laughs> this is my favorite thing is to look over somebody's shoulder. And and I, I was given this as a journal club to our, our department, and I, I said, you know, there's a basis for carbidopus action. What it does is it's not supposed to get into the brain. It only works in the what we call the periphery, which is every place else but the brain. So, you know, in the legs and the arms and the trunk and all the rest of the stuff, that, that carbidopa gets there. But getting into the brain is a tough business because if you take 100 drugs, only two get into the brain. That's how selective it is. So the basis of carbidopa's safety is that it doesn't get into the brain, right? Yeah. Right. What if it does get into the brain? <laughs> 
Well, what it does is it blocks the production of dopamine from L-Dopa. Do you understand what yeah, I'm telling I, I, you? Yeah, it's like, so what's a person to do? You better you better eat stuff that, that protects your blood-brain barrier or you're in trouble. Now, now, it turns out that as people age, their blood-brain barrier that protects you, protects, protects your brain, starts to break down, and it gets leaky. Mm-hmm. Okay, who has Parkinson's disease? If you look real close, the majority of people that have Parkinson's disease are 60 years old and older. And, and, and on top of that, Parkinson's disease itself causes the brain to leak. It causes the blood-brain barrier to leak. And you, can you tell what's happening? That drug that they've been putting in, in to, to alleviate the, the side effects is actually causing people to die. And we're not talking about one or two people. A million people have this disease, and they're all taking that combination of drugs. This is an eye-opener. What does a person do that wants the, an alternative solution to their problem? Now, see, if you read my paper, you'll find the answer to that out. Well, it turns out that one of the amino acids that turns into dopamine, in fact, the one that's biochemically right next to L-DOPA, is called tyrosine. And if you eat tyrosine, it'll turn into L-DOPA, and the L-DOPA will get in and turn into dopamine. You don't have to have, I don't believe, you don't have to have L-DOPA as the precursor. You can take the one just before that. So that's what I say. So, so you lay off the combination thing and start taking tyrosine. How do you take I mean, it? Have, in food? or so? I, well, I've seen the powder form. I think I even have it some. Comes, it, comes, it comes, you can buy L-tyrosine in a, in a capsule, and it's just a white powder. And it comes in, I think, 500 milligram capsules, because I take two of that, just to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> After and all I don't even know. need it. After all you know, I'm sure you would take two so, of that. So... So that's interesting right there. So now, not only are we, are, are we at first, we don't know how to treat this disease. So I figured out the first step of what to do, take iodine and you raise up your, your levels. Although I never did the clinical studies. This other guy, I have to give him credit for that. He did them. But, but he knew of my work because he called me up and tried to, me, tried to get me to give the, my patent over to Michael J. Fox Foundation. And I wouldn't get anything for it. And I said, you know, I don't have any money to do research. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, and so anyway, so about two years ago, there's a guy that's from, I think it was originally from Korea, named Lee. And he works at, the, at, at Harvard. And he found what I considered the key, the key thing of how to treat this disease. And, and what he did, he's found a gene mechanism called NUR1. It's N-U-R-R-1. And, and this mechanism is how the body takes the precursors like tyrosine and L-DOPA and turns it into, and turns it into dopamine. It, it's, the, it's a genetic control mechanism uh, that does that. And it's called... There's, it, it's a receptor for the, for the um, substances, and it's also a, what they call a tr- DNA transcription factor. 
which tells the DNA what to do. So it's like the controlling mechanism for making dopamine. Wow, that's really something. He, I don't think he actually found it. I think other people found it, but he used it. And then he started screening regular drugs that, that, that were available because you can buy them and it like you can buy 200 drugs and try each one to see which one does what. So the idea is to use something that would stimulate the production of dopamine by itself and not be, not be a precursor, but something that would stimulate the mechanism, like a hormone. Right. And, and so he starts screening all kinds of drugs. It's chloroquine. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, one he started, chloroquine. oh God, the one he started with. Is that incredible? Yeah. And so, and so he takes his animals and gives them chloroquine, and they start making more dopamine. And, if he, and, and there's, there's animal models for Parkinson's disease where you give them a drug, and all of a sudden they, they, it damages this, this, the, uh, the nerves in the substantia nigra that make dopamine, and, th- and then they have full-blown Parkinson's. Well, when he did, did these kind of studies and then put chloroquine in, it actually reversed a lot of the problems. So if you would give that combination with the inocene and a few other things, you could stop this disease. And that's why I wrote that paper. I put it all together in one place. All the things you do to prevent this, prevent and to treat the disease. And I never treated one patient. <laughs> <laughs> How can people, what's it, where, where can people find this? What you have a, your website, what's the best way they can find it? I have it in an email, but how can they find it? Uh, that's the that's the that's the way. You just go to the the, the website and 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 type in the and type in the uh, uh, and type in the the name of the a paper and it and it'll all come out. They could probably just type your name in Google, right? Knox Van Dyke. Yeah. Well, that's the hard way. You don't want to do it that way. You want to want to do it directly. So the title of my paper was called. An improved prevention and treatment of Parkinson's disease, and that's actually all you need to know about finding the paper. So, so it was published in Clinical Research in Hematology. So, Clinical Research in Hematology. You know, hematology relates to blood diseases. Yeah, we talked a lot about volume sub- one. Volume one. Go ahead. Volume one, issue one, 2018, page one. <laughs> this is the first article that was ever published in this journal. <laughs> and it's about, how many pages long is it? It's seven pages long. A lot of good in- it goes information. It goes through all this, all, this, all this material that relates to the disease and it tells you about the history of the disease and things like that. What I want to, what I want to, really? what I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about. Okay, we talked about the supplementation after the fact. I know you're 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 saying that you you take a preventive me- me- measure by taking that tyrosine two capsules a day, five hundred total or five hundred each. Uh, it's each. Oh, so a thousand milligrams. I just, yeah, I just take I just take two two capsules. I don't think it's particularly toxic. No, and, but. I, you know, I don't know of anyone that's ever done this to, to treat the disease. <laughs> so, what but I don't else? see why I don't see why it wouldn't work because we know we know that tyrosine goes up in the same uh, uptake mechanism into the brain as as the L-dopa does. So, if it does that, it'll turn into L-dopa. Simple as that. 
So what can people do as far as lifestyle changes, if uh, adding some natural foods? Does exercise increase anything? Uh, what are some lifestyle well, changes that well, people can apply? Okay, in this, in this paper, I, I tell people exactly what to take. The problem with many diseases is that the material that they take into their body only lasts for a short time. If you take normal drugs, let's say you take Tylenol. And you, and you put it into your body, it has a half-life of about two hours. And, and you know, it comes and goes. Well, that's not what you want. When you fight diseases that generate peroxynitrite, and that's almost all diseases, you need to have something that's, that's in your body continuously, just like the peroxynitrite is being generated continuously. This is the trick. And there's one company in the United States that I know of, and that's Endurance Products, that makes all sorts of supplements that last for a long time. Yeah, I had Joe on the program. That's how I found you. Joe, Joe said I had to have you and on the that, show. And those, and those products that Endurance Products makes are in this, are most of them, the ones that you use are in this paper. And uh, they have, they have a, for example, they have time-release vitamins. Whoever heard of that? Instead of taking a vitamin, you know, and, and expecting it to last in your body, it doesn't do that. Some of them go real quickly and you pee them out, and, they have, and, and some of them last for a longer time. But the thing is, if you take sustained-release vitamins, they last a longer time in your body. So if you take one in the morning, one at night, you never have a deficiency. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of the treatment of these chronic diseases. You wonder why we didn't ever solve Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease? We never treated it properly. This, the, the key to all the diseases is called oxidative and nitrosative stress. And that comes from the inflammatory process where the body is trying to get rid of all, kill all these things that isn't supposed to be there. So this proxy nitrate is very protective. We couldn't live without it. But the problem is in a disease state, we make too damn much of it, and then it starts beating up on, on us instead of the, the invaders. <laughs> Endurance Products makes all these different companies. They make vitamin C, which is very important. We have, we have just produced, or they have just produced, an, uh, a time release, a sustained release, inosine. You, you, Spinosine's available over the counter, but you don't know, if you take it, you don't know how long it'll last. If you take sustained release inosine, it'll last much longer. You take that twice a day and it'll cover your whole day. So, so that's the whole point of this, is that if you're gonna fight these kind of diseases, you have to do it continuously and you don't ever let up. That's why we've never been able to treat um, diseases like, like Alzheimer's disease. So this, so it turns out that let's talk about diabetes. That's one of the ba- major diseases in the United States. Huge epidemic. And you remember, I told you, it's not the sugar. It's not caused. It's not caused by sugar. Sugar makes it worse, but that's not what what creates the disease. What creates the disease is excessive amounts of, oh no, peroxynitrite. And how do you control that? Well, you take a whole bunch of substances that that it reacts with, and, it's, and, and you can control the level. Can you believe that? 
I can't. And if you did that, and if you did that for your entire lifetime, what do you think would happen? You probably wouldn't have any of these <laughs> the diseases that are spreading around the country right now, like wildfire. But people need education. People need knowledge, and that's what you're doing right now. Yeah. Well. It, well. So anyway, it turns out that this is the way to live more healthy and live a much longer life in better shape. It's is to control the level of this chemistry, the chemistry you have to have. And you, and if you take the right amounts of supplements and you take the right type and take them often enough, you can control a lot of these things that happen to your body. So why do you get cancer? You get cancer because something is causing your DNA to mutate and you get all these mutational changes in your DNA and all of a sudden it's, the cell doesn't do what it's supposed to be doing, starts making too many cells, it doesn't stop, it changes the metabolism, blah, blah, blah. But what's the cause of it? Inflammation. Absolutely. See, a lot of people think, oh, you get inflammation with cancer. Well, that's what's, that's just a side effect of the disease. No, no, that's the cause of the damn disease. Mm-hmm. So if you can control this stuff, you should be able to control the disease. And you should, and the other thing that's interesting about all this stuff, most of the products that are these natural products don't have side effects. Why? Because they do exactly what they're supposed to do. They don't do anything, have extra targets or any of these other things that a lot of the drugs do. Now, if you get an infection, antibiotics are, are definitely helpful. <laughs> I'm not saying they're all drugs are bad, but I'm saying that, that you need to, against chronic and acute inflammatory diseases. Every disease starts out with acute inflammation. And then what happens is, so how would you treat acute inflammation? Well, it turns out God, God produced good stuff. Uh, it turns out that anti-inflammatory steroids will knock out acute inflammation completely. And, and a lot of people think, oh, we'll take ibuprofen. No, no, ibuprofen, it, it has a lot of side effects, and it, and it doesn't work anyway. It's hard in the gut. It helps you with the pain, but you get GI bleeding. Right. You, it, and if you keep on taking it, it'll kill your kidney. I mean, that stuff's bad. Well, steroids have some side effects too, but not if you take it for a short time. You take, you go on them, and your inflammation stops, and that, you know, then you're okay. One of my students, uh, he was in the Israeli military, and he came down funny, and he hurt his knee, and so they had to have a knee operation. So anyway, he's at the hospital, and he, you know, we study these inflammation mechanisms. So uh, he said, "Well, should I, what should I take so I don't get too inflamed?" I said, you know what to take. He says, yeah, but take dexamethasone, which is the gold standard of anti-inflammatories. So he goes in, he takes the thing ahead of time because it lasts a long time with the body. And the guy does the surgery and he comes out. And a couple of days later, the doc comes in and says, he looks at the knee and there's no swelling <laughs> after he just cut on us and everybody else swells like crazy. And he says, the doc looked right at him. He says, are you on steroids? And, and he had to admit he was. He says, listen, I'm the doc. I'll tell you what to take. No. <laughs> but, it's too, but it was too late. And, and you know what? He healed anyway. And he didn't swell. See. 
And when you swell, usually it hurts. Yeah. So if you don't have any swelling, you don't have any hurt to solve the problem. I think it's a logical thing, actually, to take steroids before, before you go into surgery, unless, unless there's some situation where the steroids slow the healing process down. But I doubt that that's true. I have no evidence, and I don't think they have any evidence no. either. <laughs> Before we wrap this up, i got to ask you, so we've been talking a lot about supplementation, and I, are there any foods that you're a fan of as far as implementing in somebody's diet? Well, no, that's an interesting question, actually. Well, some of the best things you can take is to eat vegetables, and some of the best vegetables are uh, beets and uh, spinach. Well, I know the beets, I recommend, beets help with the NO2, right? Nitric oxide in the body. Oh. And, so, the, and yeah. so does the spinach. But, but normally, one of the mechanisms that makes nitric oxide is, uh, is, our, is the amino acid arginine. Yeah, and, you it, can and Endure also has take, arginine sustained release. They, they have a great product. That's what started me on the uh, Endurance products. They have L-arginine sustained release. That's, the, that's what I take. I take, take sustained release L-arginine. But I don't take just a little bit. I take six to eight grams a day. How and many? Guess what? How many capsules of that? They say take six, three in the morning, three at night. How many are you taking? I take I take bigger capsules than you do. <laughs> well, anyway, that's the right idea, though. You you have to take enough so that so that it maintains the generation of of arginine causing nitric oxide to be produced for a long time. Now, there's two pathways. There's one from arginine, and the other one comes from nitrates. Okay? And guess what beets and spinach have? They have yeah. a lot of nitrates. Right. And, and it turns out that, uh, it turns out seaweed's got a lot, too. I've heard so of that. So you wonder, you wonder, why the heck is it that the, Japan. the Japanese people that right. live in Okinawa live to be 115? It's because they eat seaweed? Eat tremendous amounts of nitrate, and it and it and it vasodilates their blood vessels, mm -hmm. and and they don't they don't get ill. So that nitric oxide is a big part of it. Now now the other part of it's really interesting that nitric oxide makes oh no, you take oxygen, which is an extra electron called superoxide, and nitric oxide, which has an extra electron, the two free radicals pair, and you get oh no. So you would think that taking arginine and taking nitrite would would give you a whole lot of peroxynitrite, which you don't need. Right. Right? Would right. you think that? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, yeah. That's not the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that in order to make peroxynitrite, you have to have almost exactly equivalent amounts of nitric oxide and the superoxide. The two pieces that form the O-no have to be almost exactly the same. What happens if you make extra nitric oxide? Well, then you get more vasodilation, and it doesn't make very peroxynitrite real great. So one of the ways you can actually lower the peroxynitrite level is to make extra nitric oxide. Isn't that interesting? Who would have ever guessed that'd be right? I picked it off a paper I read. I said, oh, my God, look what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> and they were doing some brain studies, and, and they showed they showed that they got better results when they when they generated more nitric oxide, not less. Anyway, so I take a scoop of that this, super beets every morning. That, that you heard the super beets, they have that. It comes in. No, uh, don't waste don't, don't waste your money with that stuff. Those, those people are cheating you. How, do you like do you like Harvard beets that have a little vinegar on them or 
whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw them in a blender. I know Costco sells them in a, whole, a, oh. a package of the you know, the raw beets. That's the way. That's the way. That, that's the way you eat them. Or you put some, you know, something gives them a little bit more taste, and just eat it that way. Or yeah. dr- just drink the beet juice. The beet juice. There's, I mean, that, those people that are selling that 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 beet powder. That's stupid. <laughs> They're just making money. Interesting. Yeah, they're all over the they're all over the TV doing it too. Oh, there's so, there's so many people that cheat. It's just unbelievable. You know, there's a guy. Uh, Endurance Products make a, a very good another very good product called Nicotinam. It, it's called niacinamide. Anyway, this stuff is very important for your metabolism and that, and they make it in sustained release form. So, so another company decided. Oh. Well, we'll turn it into the real compound, which is called NAD or whatever. So, they, so they so they make they add something an extra piece to this compound, and they charge way more for it. Well, I got news for them: if you just take the niacinamide that the endurance products sell, the body will turn it into the other stuff, and you just waste your money buying the expensive stuff and doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that's interesting. You're sure you're, you're going to raise a lot of eyebrows on this one. Say, so, hey, before I let you go, uh, what what are you working on right now? What's what's going on as far as what's on the horizon for you? Well, uh, we're trying to actually we're working on this uh, on this problem with uh, black lung disease and and other toxicities that come from the lung. You know, if you breathe in certain compounds, your lung gets bad. One example is COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. No one has a cure for that stuff. All they do is they sell vasodilators and hope you hope you live long enough. Long enough, longer, right? Yep. Guess what? So that disease is is irreversible. Now, if you use steroids for asthma, which is a similar kind of disease, the asthma goes away. Steroids have been an amazing treatment for asthma. If the if the, the mechanism is the same in COPD, why doesn't the steroids work for COPD? It's because in COPD you make a bunch of peroxynitrite, and that peroxynitrite damages the system by which you breathe. <laughs> okay, so that sounds like. You're going to die if you get that stuff. And most people die from it, for I just sure. lost an aunt. Yeah, she was in her 90s. Just lost her two weeks ago from that COPD. Okay, well, you should have called me earlier. So so the way inflammation works, at first you get acute inflammation, and it lasts for a day or a couple of days and maybe a couple of weeks, and then it goes away, right? That's acute. And then if, it, if that inflammation, like you get silica in your lungs, and it never goes away, it just keeps on going, then that becomes chronic. And chronic disease can't be treated with steroids. Why? It's because the cells that the cells that eat the silica generate peroxynitrite and it and it kills the lung and it kills that, that mechanism by which steroids work. The mechanism which is causing the disease kills the steroid mechanism so they can't act can't work together. Guess what I found? I found a way to I found a way to reverse it. <laughs> well, go ahead. And that's uh, well, I I can't tell you right now because um, I would go right in a patent. 
uh, oh, endurance product okay, that I, I, I I'm gonna have a way to treat this damn disease. <laughs> That's good to know. We have to have you when you have when you have that available to share. We have to have you back on. But for now, I want to say thank you for your time. Well, you're welcome. Wealth of information. Uh, this is going to be one of the best. It'll be up there with the best of them. And uh, like I, I say, think, I think if you if you start realizing how uh, how important some of this stuff is, you'll realize that it it has a major effect on health. For sure. So we spend an almost three trillion dollars on, on on stuff that we can't treat we could take the three trillion dollars and, and says you know it makes people's lives better cut the taxes make infrastructure everything else yeah. the, the whole the whole medical system's stupid and and not only that what's what's even worse and and you don't have to tell everybody this we, we treat our medical students we teach our medical students, incorrectly what we do is we we show how you know you know they give if you have this disease we take this drug do this take that drug instead of trying to understand how does this disease work get to the cause get to the root of the problem yeah once you see the root of the problem you don't do it you don't you don't do a bunch of stupid things you go right at the thing and stop it but the problem is, you know, if I write a grant to NIH, I don't get any money. Why not? Because my thought process is like advanced. And what people at NIH want is they want things that they absolutely know will work. They don't care where it's going to help anybody. They just want to know if it's good science. Well, that's not the way to treat people. You, What you have to do is you figure out how the thing works, and then you... You try it in a small number of people and see if it helps them. But none of that kind of research is done that I can tell. You know, it, it looks like it looks to me like a lot of these um, disease places like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, blah, blah, blah. They're in it more to keep themselves going than they are to create a way to stop the disease. Oh, well, there's money in it, too. Yeah. Isn't there? There, I mean, Knox, let's not fool each other. There's a bunch of money in that in, in, in the way things are going uh, right now. I understand, but but why should we? Why why do we do that to our people yeah, when well. when the answers are right in front of our nose? We just we just don't do anything with what we have, and people like me struggle to get a dime to do research. It's crazy. It is. <laughs> Still, might be saying so. It is. Hey man, let's catch up well, on another on the podcast well, to be continued. I, I got to okay. Catch it, catch this next one. I am keep you on schedule. Yeah. I'm gonna stay on schedule. But I thank you again for your time, your insight, information. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're welcome. We well, appreciate that. Until next time, have a great thank afternoon, you. Knox. You too. All right, bye -bye. Bye. thanks. Bye bye.